my name's Nathan Oliver, and this is a podcast about how to live out the gospel in the everyday stuff of life. Each episode, you'll hear me chatting with experts and friends about how to understand the gospel and how it's actually good news for us every day. This season, we're looking at relationships and asking one big question, which is, how does the gospel transform our relationships? In today's episode, I chat with Kimberly Smith about singleness in the church. Um, it's a really great chat, <laughs> I mean, if I'm allowed to say that myself. It's definitely not a conversation just for single people, especially like I think married, non-single people need to be you know, talking about these things. What I mean by that is Kimberly shares in a fantastic way about the importance of the whole church as family with some super inspiring stories about how she's experienced that. It's fantastic. As someone who leads a church that really desires um, to kind of like express what it means to be part of God's family by loving one another like family, uh, I took a lot out of this and I'm really thankful for Kim's example here. Uh, So I hope you enjoy the chat. But before we get to it, I want to play a question that came through recently about singleness from one of our listeners. Uh, Yeah, and then talk about that afterwards. Here it is. If the church is failing single people as being the family and structure that we need, um, is it okay as single people if we find intimacy with um, not sexual intimacy, but you know the recreational, the intellectual, the spiritual intimacy um, with people of the opposite sex? Is that a thing? Is that okay? I don't know. I'd really like some input. Yeah, well, that's a great question. Thanks so much for sending it in. Really appreciate it. Uh, and yeah, please keep sending questions in. I love hearing your questions and being able to answer some of them here on the podcast. Now, to, to get into this one, it is a little tricky to answer because I think a fair bit depends on what you really mean by intimacy. I know some of the context there is the episode with Patricia Wirakun who was talking about sex and marriage. Uh, and even though it's not physical, I think she was talking about intimacy, um, non-physical intimacy in marriage is really key too. So, you know, creating marriage-like relationships um, that aren't marriage relationships has, uh, you know, with similarities without the physical elements is likely to be problematic, even though it might be ticking boxes for someone. Um, But if by intimacy you mean something more like friendship, then I think that's great. That's a a fantastic thing. And friendship with members of the opposite sex is good. And and all I would say is um, the same caution as how Paul spoke to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, where he says, um, uh, love younger women, uh, sorry, treat younger women as sisters um, in purity so that we aren't putting ourselves in positions of temptation and even so that we're loving our friends of the opposite sex well and not just trying to, you know, like get something that feels us from them, um, but we're actually considering them and, and maybe the impact that we could be having on them. I don't know. Um, also, I think if someone was to use the scenario of, um, you know, we're not married so it doesn't count as long as it's not crossing any physical boundaries, you know, it's, everything's above board. Well, I'm not sure that, that that makes it any simpler at any point, you know, particularly if you get married to someone else to actually separate your heart from another person uh, in that way, especially if you've been intimate with them, even in a sense that's not physical. Um, now, the other thing that I would say that I think is probably the main thing for me is what I would say to someone whether they're married or single or anything, and it's that, you know, Ecclesiastes tells us that we've been built by God with eternity in our hearts so that we can't be completed by any other person, 
Um, we need an eternal being who can complete us and fulfill us. We need God. We 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 need Him, and and we, and we need what He's done for us through Jesus to be, you know, fulfilled. Um, to know life in its fullest, right? And I I think that, um, what happens to us, of course, you know, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, is that. Um, God gives us new desires. It doesn't mean that He takes away kind of the needs that we have emotionally and makes us, you know, just, you know, <laughs> needless people. Um, but I think that it actually He gives us He gives us new desires to actually want things for other people, and in particular, to actually want to know the love that we have known, to to want to know the grace that He's given us, to want to know God in a way that He's revealed Himself to us, and. Uh, I think that that what that means is that it at least changes the question a little bit. It changes it from looking for what I can get from someone to how can I give to someone. Um, and and I suppose where I want to take that in response to this question in particular, from a single perspective, is and especially in regard to the nature of the church, is that I think that that works not just in a personal emotional level. But in like a dynamic kind of, um, you know, um, community level too, where you don't just want to um, come up with a solution to the problem for you personally, but you actually want to help be part of something, something, a, a family of God that actually meets people's needs, uh, whether they're single, married or whatever. Now I don't I don't know if this is making sense, but I I think that um, in the conversation that's coming up with Kimberly Smith, she talks about this in a way that I think um, is just such a fantastic example, where she doesn't disregard her singleness, but it actually becomes something which has enabled her to create community, be part of you know um, establishing a sort of community with married people, with single people that actually you know meets uh, meets those needs that we have as people and it's the goodness of God revealed through Jesus um, that drives it. it becomes the motivation for how we love one another yeah so I may as well jump to that conversation right now I hope you enjoy it I hope I've answered your question okay and uh, yeah I'd love to hear more okay here it is enjoy Hi, Kimberly. How are you doing? Good, thanks. How are you going? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good for a guy sitting in the garage uh, with a yeah. blanket over my knees. <laughs> All things yeah. considered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This obviously is being recorded while we're in home isolation and lockdown and everyone's working from home. Yeah. Um, is that what you're doing right now? Yes, yes, but I'm um, fortunate enough to be inside, so that's a, that's a start. Um, but yes, I am working from home. Yeah. All right. Well, now we're we're here today to talk about um, singleness, and um, you wrote a book on singleness. That's not everything that you've done. Tell us what do you? How do you spend your week? Um, your days? What do you do with yourself? Um, so I, I live in Geelong, so I spend my time when I'm not working enjoying some of the most beautiful parts of the country. Um, and I work for the Baptist Union of Victoria, so my role is the pastor for generations and emerging leaders. And so that means for uh, 240 plus churches across the state, I just support, encourage, 
pastor the pastors who are engaging in Generations Ministries, so um, which is a real privilege to have the job. I'm so blessed to, to do what I do. I really love it. Uh, encouraging pastors, keep providing training, networking them with others, um, and also, you know, advocating for them and, and supporting them in their roles within their churches, but then also helping churches to disengage the conversation of how to think and act generationally, because that's where churches will thrive and flourish if they're considering all generations um, that are engaged in their churches. And and um, so, yeah, work into church leadership and just helping them think about what that might look like in the, in the for church in their context. Yeah. Are you busting to get out on the so road? So busting. So busting. Yeah. I'm worried I've forgotten how to drive. But other than that, I think I'm, <laughs> I'm busting to, I just want to be face-to-face with these people, you know, I just want to, because often just, to drive a long way to particularly to like a regional church or even, you know, the more metropolitan churches and just grab someone, take them out for a coffee and just, you know, be interested in them and encourage them and just watch them sort of enjoy that um, that time. I'm missing that face-to-face of that. But, you know, all in good time. We'll get there eventually, won't we? Yeah. Have you not driven <laughs> for the last two months or something? I have. I've just very locally. Um, oh, okay. I, it's, it's more. It's more the open road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Wow. I thought for a second you've been yeah. locked in your home the whole time. Um, wow, that would have been tragic. Yeah. Now you you wrote the book. It's it's called uh, What We Cannot Be Alone, and you've also got a website uh, where you talk about all all things, but one thing being singleness, as well as a, a blog attached to that. Um, yeah. Uh, tell us about that. Tell us about the book. Where'd that come from? Um, all of those yeah. things. Yeah. Well, it's that, that classic thing of being, you know, I'm so good at something, I wrote a book about it. Um, I'm so good at being single. Like I'm a professional single person, um, which is, you know, every young girl's dream. Um, but I, I was married, I was married younger and um, and then that, you know, that's a, a whole other story for a whole other podcast in terms of, mm-hmm. of how that eventuated. But I found myself um, single again and was, was quite quickly drawn into church leadership at that time, which was um, a really interesting move, but one that God just really blessed and, and used to, to bring great restoration and redemption into, for my story. But um, as I was leading in a, the church space as a single person, obviously I'm just doing that because that's just what I am and what I know. But um, what I started to understand was that um, you know, most churches are led by married people. Um, and so the lens that leadership looks through when they're shaping language and, and culture in church is often very family dominated. And so it should be because the church itself is meant, you know, God uses the language that we are his family. And so church should look like a family um, and we should be inclusive. And also we should be championing those relationships, parenting and, and marriages and, and all, all that that entails. And, and I think it's one of our best witnesses to the world when we get those relationships right. Um, so. So a church is really family, you know, dominated, if you like, in terms of its narrative. And so I guess the question though raised for me, what does it look like for a single person who's trying to navigate that family-oriented place without family and how do they find their sense of belonging there? And what we realised, as I chatted particularly with the leadership in my church, we're like, we're, this is just what we do because, we, you know, everything goes through this filter of considering what it looks like for a single person because I'm sitting at the table. But then having lots of conversations with other churches and realising if they don't have somebody who's in speaking that voice or you know, leading um, that that consideration, 
that single people within those um, congregations or those faith communities can be quite overlooked or feel quite, ex- you know, marginalised or excluded. And um, and so the book was was written really as an encouragement to start some conversations for people because the language I use is that we don't know what we don't know. And so yeah. most of the people who've read my book are like, oh, I've never even thought about that. You know, I, I never considered that or I've never thought that other people think think differently or experience, you know, things differently. And so I love the fact that that conversation has been started. So that's where the book yeah. came from. It's where it's been chugging around for the last few years and, and you know, really encouraged to hear how how many conversations it started and just some shifts that have happened in, in leadership, in families, in personal relationships as a result. Yeah, I really enjoyed reading it. As a, as a married person, I really enjoyed reading it. It was great, yeah. As you, as you go about and you speak about these things and people, you know, interact with you, what, what do you find the feedback is? Like, or what do you find, what are the things that people want to talk about regarding singleness? Yeah, well, I think that for, for the single person, um, the, it's mo- for the most part, if I sp- preach a sermon um, around this topic, nearly every church there'll be people saying, I have never heard a sermon about singleness. I've never heard anyone speak about that from the platform. And um, and so that that's a great encouragement. Just I think just the idea of being seen and being like seeing yourself in the what's happening on the platform um, and what's being yeah. communicated in church. Um, I mean, a lot of eye-opening moments for, for married people and for families of just recognising um, that there's a whole lot of things that that are innate to being within a family that we those who are in families can often take for granted because it just is what it is and um, and fail to recognize the implications of what it means for somebody um, to live without those things. Um, yeah. I mean one of the classic things I share about um, the gift that families are to a single person to just provide really normal, family life you know um if you think of a a, just a let's you know forget about isolation for a second but it has a normal night in for a family um even if there's nothing particularly official on there's someone doing homework someone's practicing music you know there's people yelling at the tv we're doing dishes like you know stuff's just happening around around you and some of that might feel quite mundane and even a bit annoying as a family person but just that buzz of activity and just that normalcy um, is not something that single people experience uh, in their own home if they're living alone and often single people get invited into a family dynamic and it's sort of we've set the table we've got a defined dinner time no one's doing music practice and and homework because Kim's here for dinner. You know, we're going to sit and have dinner mm. with you. Like it's, it's quite an orchestrated event almost, um, which is great, you know, and everybody loves being hosted. But um, but the, the gift and for me some of the most precious, um, you know, friendships and, and offerings from my friends have been um, just come over, we're just doing life, you know, things are a bit crazy here, let me just move the ironing, you know, pile of washing off the table so you can sit there and have your dinner or, or you know, we all got home late tonight, we're having spaghetti on toast, but you're welcome to join us. And mm. um, and so I think one of the biggest eye-openers is, is all these families saying, I didn't realise that my chaos could be a gift to somebody else, you know, it's yeah, like wow. this, a, new, um, a new lens to, to look through, but but that's yeah, lots of moments of of just revelation of, of as I say, if you don't know what you don't know, when you discover what you don't know, it's so empowering because then you can actually do something about it. 
Right, right. But I'd, I'd also say that that says something about the genuineness of relationship too, and that's what we all crave, genuine real relationships. That mm-hmm. real relationship doesn't look like, oh, I have to make sure everything's perfect before someone comes over to my home, you know, like um, we just need to connect. We just, like, why can't we just be real people? Yeah. There's something in that too. There's something in yeah. that, you know, yeah. like that's, that's what you're saying is desired you know by you by maybe everyone isn't it maybe everyone yeah I mean I I get though that I mean when I have someone over for dinner I you know I normally put in a little bit of extra effort you know and I and I (laughs) and I think that's okay you know like um and and also I think there's there is um in for some people that is their expression of love you know I've I've cooked all afternoon for this because yeah. I want to. I want to feed you, and I want to just you know just go over the top in yeah. in blessing you with this. And so yeah, there's some nuance to it. And also, I often caution people like don't assume that your single friends want to come to your chaos because that <laughs> you know it's not everybody's cup of tea. You know, so it's sort of a um we it's a, it's a communication that needs to happen. But I think you're right. It's about the authenticity of a relationship that um that what of really understanding what is the deeper need of another person and how can I meet that? Um, because in our genuine attempts to communicate love and care, we could actually be missing the fundamental need of another person um, in those assumptions. And so um, I think, you know, in this space of that for the single person, I think, you know, like I, in my home, we are, there's only one gender represented. There's only one age group represented. You know, there's like, so as yeah. soon as I'm invited out, I, like that exposes me to a whole lot of different types of interaction and, and relationship. Right. And that that's a gift to me, you know, that to, I like that I get invited to a friend's house where there's, um, there's men, you know, there's males in the house because yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that's something that, that I probably uniquely crave. Whereas maybe um, for married women, they love the idea of a girls' night out because that's that's different for them is to be right, right. without the guys, you know, and, and in a different kind of context, whereas girls' night out or girls' night in is like every day of my life. So I want, you know, something from, I mean, not that I don't like those. I love, I love engaging with, you know, my female friends, but there's something unique about that offering of safe places to have um, interactions and relationships with males that is a, is a gift to us, can be a gift to a single person. Yeah, does that does that work both ways? Um, as far as you inviting people to your place, families and such. Yeah, it's a challenge for me. I like I like to have people over. I mean, the reality for me is that I I have to um, wrestle with the idea of what I have to actually offer. So if if you come to my house for dinner and I'm cooking dinner, there's no one else here to entertain you while I do that, or you know that sort of thing. Like, um, yeah, right. there's. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm set up because I've, I've got so many friends with young kids. That, like I've got a toy box and I've got, you know, I've, I've got places and things for kids to engage with. Yeah. But, but, um, but that could actually be quite challenging. You know, I've, been, I've even got a high chair here that I have. So yeah. if someone yeah. comes for dinner, there's a spot for them to sit. But, but I think, you know, for, for no, normally for single people who live alone um, and, you know, they probably don't have their house set up to be able to receive a family with ease. And so for me, um, like I don't have any problem having families here, but it's always in the back of my mind of like this it feels like it's harder for them than yeah. it would be for me just to show up at their house. But, yeah, you yeah. know, I, but then that being said, I, I'm this recent, when I moved into this house on my first night here, um, my I have a, a family of friends who 
who acknowledged that I wouldn't really want to sleep here by myself for the first night. So the whole family came and stayed over, um, three little three little kids and and mum and dad. And so we had a big sleepover at Kimmy's house. But um, but when the kids went to yeah, oh, it was so special. And when the kids went to bed, mum and dad and I, you know, sitting on the couch having a cup of tea, like we actually found that that there was a relaxedness to how we interacted because they were outside of their normal environment, you know, and it was good. Um, it was sort of a, a you know, they they didn't have the the laundry pile in in eyesight, you know, or anything, and all these things that like I should be doing this, I should be doing that. It's like no, you just need to sit and relax. And so there is a gift to be offered to each other in that. But I think it's there's a lot of communication that needs to take place to understand how that you know, how that is um, going to be received or what the best way to express that desire to care and connect um, would be for an individual or others. Yeah. yeah. I, I hear that and I think, how did, how did that come about? Like, how does this work? Like, is this, is this part of um, your communication where people maybe don't just catch on but you need to be upfront and expressive about some of these things? Like. Yeah. For a family to come and say, we're going to come and stay over at your place, sounds like maybe they suggested it. Is that right? Yeah, they, they offered that, which was great. Um, and, so had, and, I mean, I, re- I remember the moment when they offered, they're like, oh, we could have a sleepover at your house. And I was straight away like, that would be so good. Like I had to, because yeah. you could tell there was a tentativeness about that offering. Like, yeah. you know, they're like, oh, actually, I don't really want five people in my brand new <laughs> You know, like, I'd like to actually have some alone. You know, that there was a, a consideration um, that you tell in the offering that they were giving me space. But this is a relationship that's developed, um, you know, over the last little while of of a lot of communication, you know. And so yeah. her offering of that was into a space where I think she had a pretty good idea of what the answer was going to be. You know, it wasn't sort of a uh-huh. um, out of, out of the blue thing because of the nature of the relationship that we've developed. I I actually refer to them as I call them my slippers family, and other people actually call them the slippers family because I have um, at their house I have a pair of slippers. So um, their their eldest daughter keeps them in her cupboard for me, and as soon as I walk in the door, I have to take off my shoes and put on my slippers, and it's just this sign of of comfortability, you know, he can kick off your shoes, you're here, you know, and so I, I kind of affirmed that the, the first time we talked about it because I think I was, you know, trying to play with the kids on the floor and and I had shoes on, you know, and I'm like, oh, I need to be careful. And they said, you should have a pair of slippers. And so we kind of just, un, you know, unpacked that conversation. And so in the end we have a pair of slippers in their cupboard for every time Kimmy comes to to play. But it's, it's so symbolic of a, an attitude of acceptance and, um, this is this is your chill out place. You don't have to come in your fancy shoes here. You know you can kick off and um, yeah. and lounge about with us and um, and jump into just the whatever the family's doing. Right, right. That to me, like I, I love hearing what you're saying. Like it's it just sounds like a great reflection of family and community. The way that the Bible speaks about yeah. those things. Um, when yeah. the Bible, when, when when the Bible points to us as being part of God's family, and then that yeah. supersedes all these other connections that we have in life, that it's supposed to look like something. It's supposed to, yeah. it's supposed to have, you know, hands and feet attached to. It's supposed to have real life, real. Like when I hear that, what you what you're saying, that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. What yeah. what needs to happen in order to get to that point? You've already talked about communication. Yeah, and I, I don't think you can understate the importance of that because 
because it is a bit countercultural to us now as we live in, you know, Western um, modern society because if you consider the, you know, biblical times, I mean, even physically their homes were attached to one another. You know, you would have right. to actually walk through someone else's house. Like they, they had these sort of apartment blocks but they didn't have all have external access to their homes. Like some of them were internal homes. You just walk through each other's house to get to your house. So yeah. there was never like their expression of how, like, I mean, now we've got fences, we've got double locked front doors, we've got, you know, and we drive into our garages and close them behind us and and access our house internally. You know, there's a, a way that we've um, developed a lifestyle here in, in this sort of, um, context that we live that actually isolates our families and 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 sort of silos them from one another and we t- we speak that way too you know oh, I just I just need some we just need some family time tonight so we're not going out as if being with other people isn't family time you know that family right. time is an exclusive thing where only right. our family yeah. participates where I have a, a friend who she she's got older adult children and they do they do family night on a regular basis, but they have like heaps of other people who are staying at the house or, you know, sort of there's one of those families, well, those additional people, you know, that are connected to it. And and the mum, her language is that it's a family night when all our family is here and then ev- everyone and anyone else can be there as well. Like it's not, family night's not an exclusive night. It's an inclusive night. You know, it's when we draw people in, not when we sort of say, oh, no, it's family time now and you guys yeah need to leave. (laughs) Um, So so there's a whole culture, um, a whole cultural narrative that's surrounded that, that I think has established some, um, some invisible barriers between us as units, you know, as households, as as families that, um, that requires a lot of work to correct or to, to go back the other way, if you like, you know, that it needs, Um, it's it's not it, yeah it has to be quite intentional and it needs a lot of a lot of language thrown at it to keep affirming things to keep breaking down assumptions you know the number of times um, even with the slippers family where their little kids are sort of climbing all over me and you know one just hanging off me like literally and the parents like don't know leave her alone don't know and and I just keep saying I'm okay with this if you're okay to let me like I will say stop when it's not enough you know like when it's too much sorry you know like I'll say I I can regulate this you know but they oh no don't do that don't do that you know they're there and it's our natural thing to kind of like my children to um injure you or for you to think I'm never coming here again because this is quite uncomfortable but I had to say it so many times, like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Remember, I can manage this. No, this is okay with me. You know, like, I'm okay if you're okay. Um, like, over many, many times, like, it has to be repeated. And so, I, as I say, I don't think um, the importance of communication can ever be over, overstressed, you know. And um, I think, you know, is when they say that if you feel like you're saying it too much, you might just be getting some traction kind of thing. Like, it's like... That repetition is actually important, and because behind every activity and everything that we do or say, there's there's this whole series of assumptions, um, and those are the things that need to be named so that we can work out if we're making the right, um, you know, coming to the right conclusion out of what we're thinking. Because we're sort of often looking through our lens and looking at how I would, if I was them, I would do this. So they must be thinking this, you know, rather than yeah. I wonder what they are thinking. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So we've sort of jumped over a bunch of stuff to do with singleness and we're talking about kind of like the practical application of, you know, um, community as a result yeah. or the practical application yeah. of living in, you know, in light of one another's singleness or, or you know, mm-hmm. relational status or whatever. I want to ask you what needs to happen in the heart of one another, um, not yeah. just, you know, beyond the communication. Like what needs to happen in the heart of a single person, of a married person, to kind of reflect this type of relationship of, you know, embracing people that are different to us, um, uh, particularly singles. Uh, yeah, like what do you think? What needs to happen in the heart in order to, to, to experience this? Yeah, well, I think, you know, as you said, like God, um, I mean, the, the very to nature of the, the gospel is this story of, a father who loves us and wants to adopt us into his family, you know, like he wants right. to draw us in um, and, you know, does that through Jesus. And and I think, um, as I say, when he he uses the, you are, we are God's family, you've been adopted, we're sons and daughters, that means we're brothers and sisters, you know, we actually are family. Um, and I think we, we read that and we hear that like a metaphor, you know, you're like a family or you're like a jigsaw puzzle or you're like a, you know, whatever. We we just put it in this um, this list of word pictures that God uses to describe something, but it's not. It's an actual status and um, and it's a, we, we are not like family. We are family. And then if you, you know, read scripture through that lens of just understanding God's heart to see everybody drawn to him but then even just if you imagine that physically if we're all moving towards the same point we're coming closer to each other as well like that's the nature of the movement of the gospel is that it draws us closer to one another as we're drawn Mm. um, closer to God and so I think um, that but as I say it's so countercultural because it's this other focus it's a sense of um, of thinking of the bigger picture not just my own um, place in that story you know, that, that God's salvation isn't just for me, for me, it's for me, right. for others, you know, and I think, um, I, so it's, it's just the, it's the continual work of the spirit to actually make the reality of the gospel, um, come alive in our hearts, you know, like, or the reality right. of the story of what God wants for us to come alive in our hearts. And I think, I mean, you know, in Psalms, it talks about how God places the lonely in families. Like it's his, it's his answer. It's his answer for the brokenness and the, the hurt and the loneliness and the rejection and the fear, the anxiety, like everything that we struggle with. His answer is that he calls us to himself. And in doing that, he puts us in a family that become his physical expressions of all of those things. You know, mm. um, all of his provision comes to us through other people, even if it's from him. It's it, like he doesn't put soup in the pot on our stove. He prompts somebody to deliver the pot of soup to our house. You know, that's how he right, right. that's how he provides. You know, and right. um, and I think I think it's just that constant. Um, being drawn back to just that the basic idea that um, it's not just about me, it's about other people and anything God's doing in me is for the purpose of of advancing his kingdom and, and seeing his kingdom principles play out in relationship and in, in how others are drawn into that. And I think, um, you know, like the, as I say, places the lonely in families and I think that's that message of of what it looks like in a nu- nuclear family, like do you, as you as a family, mum, dad, kids, like that there are lonely people he wants to draw into that family. But I think on a bigger scale it's that he places, he draws lonely people, he draws individuals into his family. And that, that that's the 
that's a bigger picture to keep considering. And I don't know that it's, um, yeah, I think it's just something that we need, again, it's the communication thing. We just need to keep reading that and hearing that and reminding ourselves of that and um, and setting up, you know, aspects of how we um, we live and how we function that actually reflect that rather than yeah. it just being a, what we read, you know, as we skip past certain um, passages in, in Scripture. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, hearing you say that, it's so encouraging. It's really great. I, I keep having the same reflection when, so lately I've been doing a lot of reading on singleness and what it means to be the church in regard to, you know, uh, who all of us are, married, single, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, the one thing I keep coming back to in, in my own heart is to be a, a, a family of God, a, a church, a whatever, a community, whatever, um, uh, that embraces all people, particularly singles, and I think to be a single person who who is willing to be embraced in that way. Now, this is just yeah. my thinking reflection. It takes yeah, yeah. a robust theology of um, what the church is and who we are because of what God's done and our place yeah. in the church. Yeah. Is that true? Like, I just I just keep thinking, yeah. that, wow, this this has to be real. If this isn't real, it doesn't work. You yeah. Know? And if, and, and if and church is turning up on a Sunday, it doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's because it's, again, it kind of goes back. I mean, it's not a cop-out, but it's like our whole our society is um, framed in a way that actually works against that. You know, so, you know, everything is um, is sort of pushing us in the opposite direction. You know, everything is calling us to, to worry about ourselves um, because everybody else is worrying about themselves. And so we worry that if we don't worry about that ourselves, no one else is worrying about us and we're going to get left behind. You know, the, there's the whole um, culture that we swim in, you know, the the temperature of that water is, is um, put, you know, leading us in a certain direction. And, um, and so, it, it, as you say, it has to be robust because it has to stand against that tide. Like it's not just a, a slight variation on the theme. It's actually, right. you know, countercultural. It's it's fundamentally opposed right. to um, yeah. to all that that would otherwise motivate us. And so, right. um, I think we need to keep. I think that's that's part of it too. Even as church leadership or any anyone who's having this conversation is recognizing that it that it is a bit in your in your face, like it, and it has to be like it has to be a little bit of a oh wow, wow. never thought about that kind of thing because it has to stand up with yeah. equal strength, you know, against um, so many other voices and so many other narratives that are are pushing us in a direction that is counter to to that which would actually nurture you know gospel faith you know loving expressions of community and family yeah like what you believe about god and and who you are in light of that it can't just be something extra in your life it can't be a hobby it can't be a thing you do it's got to like be the, the foundation like oh, yeah like yeah. otherwise it doesn't it doesn't work now we're having this conversation and you seem to have really um <laughs> I, I hear you and i know and I, I feel like you seem like in a good place uh, with the things that you're saying, you're speaking confidently and almost um, happily. I would say <laughs> there are a lot of people. <laughs> I hope that's not a bad thing to say. <laughs> you sound happy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but, and the reason I'm saying that is because I know a lot of single people. Uh, it's not the case, and single Christian people who are really struggling with that. How how would you speak to them 
in this specific regard? Yeah. Well, I mean, as at the outset, like this is not my preferred lifestyle. Like I um, would have wanted to not be single now and I still hope not to be single in the future. Like that's um, yeah. that's where I sit. I'm not, um, I haven't adopted singleness as a, as my decision for a lifestyle that I will maintain, you know, in whatever face of opposition might come. Um, but the, but the reality for me, um, I guess, is just recognising that even if I don't want to be single right now, I am. And so what the other thing I want probably just as much as not being single is to not waste my life in a, in some sort of holding pattern, you know, to live with any sort of regret that, um, that you know, even if I were to to get married in the future, to then look back and think, oh, man, like I just wasted a whole season of my life thinking that this marriage was going to be everything that would unlock the secrets of who I am and my purpose and, you know, um, and, and, you know, just to not have wasted this season. And so, um, so that's a real motivator for me in terms of how I, I live with it. So I, I feel like, um, you know, the invitation of, of Jesus is to to hold both sort of the, the disappointment and the hope intention and like hold them together that I can be completely um, satisfied or you know, I can be content in my life and yet also want it, you know, something else in my future, like that those two things can happen um, they don't have to like wanting, you know, having a certain sort of desire for for a way that my future might look doesn't actually have to rob me of my contentment in today. Um, right. But that's a, that's quite a, a fine balance to manage. And so I think uh, for me, it, it feels like um, if you could see me visually, I'm showing you this with my hands. That um, <laughs> it's sort of this, um, <laughs> it's kind of that tug of war rope almost, you know, where it's like you're trying to keep that ribbon in the center and you just it pulls a little bit either side, you know, like and you overbalance one way and you have to tug back the other way to um, to make sure that I'm not sort of, um, yeah, losing losing that perspective or um, or allowing the wrong kind of focus to take take you know control of my heart and my life. So if I do um, start lamenting. Um, that's that's when I experience my sadness. It's when you know it's in moments when I feel most lonely that you know there's a longing for a different kind of lifestyle, um, and and yet there's also um, just you know I, I've got quite intentional disciplines and things around making you know gratitude part of um, my daily life so that I'm not missing like yes I want that but yes this is also great. It's not. And, and no, you know, one's a positive, one's a negative. They're kind of both happening in the positive. Um, and so I think it's okay to not be okay, you know, um, and like even Jesus himself, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane I think is a classic, you know, picture for us or and, and a release almost to us where he goes, oh, you know, can if it's possible, can we think of a different way to do this? And he wrestles with God on it, but then he says, but not my will, but yours, and I feel like I've had that conversation. Even just writing this book, becoming the singleness expert or whatever, I just like God. Yeah. Can it? Can no? Like, can can it be someone else? Can like? Can I don't want to do this. I don't want to. I don't want to be this person. I don't want to be you know the poster child for singleness. I don't want this for my life. So I don't want it to be the story of my life. You know, and 
Um, and yet that wrestle is still in that sort of to to move myself to a place of submission to say, but, you know, <laughs> not my will, yours be done. You know, that right. um, in right. in the end I'm more interested in doing what you want me to do than I am in what I want for myself. And so but but that's not a um, necessarily always my default. So it is a wrestle, you know, and I think, as yeah, I say, yeah. Jesus gives us that permission. Like he wrestles. He He kind of he allows himself to feel the disappointment or feel the the wish for something else, you know, or feel yeah. um, feel, and even just to acknowledge that what he's about to endure there is pain. It's you know, it's not going to be pleasant, and um, and so it's okay to sort of want to avoid unpleasantness in that sense. But right, then, right. but at some point, the you know, for the joy set before him, he endures the cross, and so it's that. Uh, at, at some point, there's that pivot that says. There's a, a bigger picture here. I can, I can release some of you know. I'm not going to hold back from participating, and even if I have to do it a little bit hurt and a little bit, um, you know, and and still not necessarily feeling like this is my preferred. Because Jesus wasn't on the cross going, "Oh yay, nails," you know, like yeah. It, it's, yeah. <laughs> it still hurt, you know. Um, yeah, and yeah. It didn't take away the pain of that. It didn't take away the that um, what that cost him. But there's a yeah. bigger picture and there's a, a, a way of sort of lifting focus forward that then helps us to navigate these less than preferred um, experiences or moments. Yeah, I was having a, a conversation like that with my daughter yesterday, one of my daughters, and uh, this idea that we can do that because really like why Jesus could do that, why he could say not my will but yours be done is because his greatest hope is that God is good. Yeah, and that, that's that's yeah. what's revealed to us through the gospel message. So, so in light of all of our struggles, in all of our successes, God is good, and that's what calls us on to yeah. whatever's next. Yeah, and that, and that's my like, that's my experience too. Like God is good. Like His goodness to me is just nuts. Yeah, like, you know, I, I that's just what feel I to ask now. Yeah. yeah, how have you gotten to this point? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think. Or did you start at this point? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and I think, well, because I think when I first was separated and divorced, you know, that was obviously there was a lot of brokenness there. There's a lot of hurt in that. Um, but I think at the time, I mean, because that was quite a few years ago now, um, I, I just sort of assumed that maybe, you know, I would um, meet someone else and and marry, and also assumed, you know, that I would go on to have children, which I always really desired to have. Um, and so there was a, probably a season where you're just like, let's just do this because obviously this is a short-term thing and, <laughs> and I can do this, you know, like I can do whatever you need, God, because, you know, clearly it's going to change soon. And I think there was a that sort of ignorance to my lifestyle yeah. for a little while. And I think when the conversation, um, you know, sh- shifted, like, and, uh, well, I, actually I feel like it sort of ebbs and flows and it's a, that's a little bit um, my temperament too, but, you know, where there there's they're all the way along there's those moments of like, I don't think I, I like I mean it's a stupid thing to say I don't think I can do this because it's like I don't know what other option you have because this is it this yeah. is what you're doing um but yeah. you say that don't we it's like I can't do it uh yeah you can um and you just but I, like, I don't want to do it is probably more the point but you know just feeling um at different stages in my life more acutely you know the loneliness or um and there's there's sort of a, a grieving that takes place seasonally almost like um where you know that at, at a certain age then it's grieving well I'm I'm not going to be a younger mum you know I'm gonna like if I get married now and have kids I'm gonna be older than I would have ideally wanted to be or yeah. or you know then you get to another stage and it's like well I guess I'm not going to be 
I'm not going to be someone who can be married for um, for 60 years because, you know, I won't live that long, you know, kind of thing. And so you sort of like there's different markers and points along the way that that make the feel that that bring those feelings to become more acute. Um, but then I think as the more I started minute, like and this has been my experience, I think with every every hurt or trauma or loss or grief that I've experienced in my life, them is ministering from that and and ministering to others in that place. That is that is entirely shaped um, how I process it now. You know, being writing the book, you know, being that person who gets to encourage other people in it. That that certainly is one because I just can't deny how. Um, God is using exactly who I am and what I am, even if I don't want to be this. <laughs> I, right. I just see the fruit of that. I see his purpose in in who he brings into my life and who I get to speak to. And um, I see, you know, I, I'm just blessed constantly with the, the feedback that I get, you know, from people that I've read this and that just made me feel this or this changed because you said this or, you know, those sorts of things where you just go, well, you can't deny that God is good and he's up to good things even um, you know, here in the midst of it, it's the, it's the Joseph story. I relate quite powerfully to that one. You know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, for the accomplishing of what's happening here. You know, there's a there's a fruitfulness um, to it that God didn't send the evil and he didn't make it, it bad, but he will always use it for good. Um, and I think that's, that's been a little bit of a life a framework, like a, a worldview, if you like, that, that has sustained me um, for, from childhood because Romans 8.28 was my verse as a teenager right through parental, you know, family breakdown and grief and loss. And I think that's really established me you know, that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. And I think um, that's that's probably what enables me to be, you know, mostly okay with where, who I am and where I am yeah. now and to be able to speak to be able to speak without bitterness, to be able to um, to frame even the more hurtful aspects of that into something of value to others, and um, and and also to not not let that poison me in any way, or even the people around me, but just to to be always allowing God to to work it to a place where it has good impact, you know, um, and good yeah. outcomes. Yeah. Well, I want to tell you, I'm super encouraged at hearing some of your story and even just the way that you express yourself about um, God's goodness to you revealed um, through Jesus and uh, expressed mm. in your life um, as a single person, as someone who doesn't want to be single, um, his faithfulness to you is really encouragement to me. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm aware of the time, so uh, I just want to ask one question to follow up. Uh, what what do you kind of would like? What would you like people um, to know? Um, whether it's single people, or if you were going to encourage um, the church or single people um, who might be trying to figure out some of these things, is there anything you would say? Um, to yeah. There? Well, I think um, hopefully there's an affirmation for singles just to to be known and seen and affirmed and, you know, have someone else sort of say, yeah, it's hard and, you know, it's not, and maybe it's not as hard for you as it is for me or is for others, but, and even it may be preferred, but, but for many, it's not, it's not the future that they expected to be living. And so it's okay to be, to grieve that a little bit. Um, And so just an encouragement for, for singles to, to do that. And I think if in consideration of, um, you know, talking to a wider audience of 
I think I reckon it's just that that um, we don't know what we don't know, and it's an encouragement for people to just have a look around um, at who's in their network. And this is single, married, parent, childless, older, younger, whatever whoever you are. You know, to look around at the people who are in your world and just pause to consider the difference of life experience that they're navigating, because um, I think you know any time we we move towards understanding and empathy, it's going to improve our capacity to just relate well to one another, but also just to to be um, avenues of great blessing to each other. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for the people who do that in my world. Um, and, I mean, it, it is helpful that I've written a book because <laughs> my friends are a lot more savvy than, than maybe most, yeah. most yeah. other people are, but, but, um, Everyone but needs I, to write a book. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If you just write a book, just subtly, you know, print that and leave it on your friend's coffee table. It's brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think that's the, good. it is the encouragement. I mean, um, and, and also to, um, I guess for families, what I was saying earlier, just to recognise that you have a gift to offer single people. The title of the book is What We Cannot Be Alone, and that is because single people cannot be family by themselves. So they can they can yeah. do a whole lot of things to manage their life and to live productively and fruitfully and to flourish and, you know, to thrive in, in things, but they can't be family. That's a group activity. And so at what we cannot be alone is 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 a is a family unit and so that is the gift that everybody else has to offer the single people and single people can offer it to each other um as well like it's you know it's not an exclusive thing that a whole family unit can offer but it is that um just being mindful of the of the the thing that we have to offer each other in that sense is is to really help people experience family and feel uh, that they're included and that there's a place of deep belonging for them in that space yeah, that's fantastic. And if people want to read more or find out more, hear hear more about you from you on this stuff, um, how do they do that? Head over to KimberlySmith.org um, and you should find there. You can contact me through there. You can buy the book through there, read some blogs. I think there's some links up there to other speaking and podcasts. And um, and when I'm back on the road, it has my um, my speaker itinerary on there as well. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, do it. People should do it. There's some great stuff there, so check it out for sure. Thank you so much, Kimberly, for joining with me. It's been great to chat. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Nathan. Well, there you go. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I do need to apologise for that weird, scratchy microphone noise. Oh, it's not in any other podcast episodes. I promise the issue is dealt with. It's gone. Uh, If you'd like to get in touch with us or find out more, then follow us on social media, either on Facebook or Instagram at Combos of Grace Podcast. You can even leave a voice message like you heard at the start of this episode and maybe part of the podcast yourself. Now, that'd be fantastic. I'd love to hear from you, know how to serve you better and what you're thinking about as you listen. Uh, yeah, until next time, see ya. Conversations of Grace is brought to you by The Church Next Door in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to find out more, go to www.tcmd.com.au.